Before mighty Darkseid came to the throne, he searched the universe for the ultimate weapon, the anti-life equation, the key to controlling all life and all will throughout the multiverse. He found it hidden on a primitive planet, but before... The story he... of the Defiance is well known. I have found the primitive planet, the world that fought back. It is Earth. The anti-life equation is carved into the surface of this very world. Are you certain? I have seen it. I have looked with my own eyes. Welcome to the third part of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast. Look at the Batman portion of the DC Universe. How many can die in your arms before you grow numb to death? Listen in as Garrett. Oh, I'm really, really missing Superman right now. Matt. Is it just me, or is it getting crazier out there? And Adam. I'm your best friend. Continue their look at all cinematic incarnations starring the Cape Crusader. They say, if you want to tell a story right, you got to start at the beginning. Included on this leg of the retrospective are reviews of Joker. My life is nothing but a comedy. Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. It took losing something. I truly loved for me to see that the target on my back was bigger than I thought. Zack Snyder's Justice League. My lord, I am but your humble servant. The Suicide Squad. <laughs> You're laughing at me for, man. Why the fuck are you in your underwear? Tighty whiteies, really? And Matt Reeves' latest cinematic incarnation, The Batman. He's the only one we didn't get. Keep coming back in the coming months, as the boys will continue their look at each film in the cinematic DC universe, one film at a time. We could watch the whole thing together. Watch what? Everything! All coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. Zack Snyder's Justice League. This was released on March 18th, 2021. It is 242 minutes. I'm not going to go into any of the budget or anything because I'm going to get into it as we get into this. And by the way, Zack Snyder all of a sudden thinks he's fucking John Carpenter by putting his name on top of this goddamn movie. Boys, let's talk Zack Snyder's Justice League. When I heard... Let's rewind a bit. Let's go back. So Justice League comes out in 2017. We reviewed it. We all didn't think it was a bad film, but it wasn't what everybody was hoping for. But apparently, when he showed this cut, and we talked about this in that podcast, when he showed this cut to executives, they said it was unwatchable. So they brought Marvel's Golden Boy, Joss Whedon, in. He reshot about 75% of it, and he hired a new composer. He did his own thing, and... What was really crazy was, as soon as he did that, the executives saw that movie, and they were like, you know what, maybe we didn't make the correct choice. <laughs> and this is, what, this is what boggles my mind about Warner Brothers and the way they handle these DC movies, is I don't know if they know what they want. I am very confident in saying that Warner Brothers has no idea what they want outside of to make money, which they betray that message at every instant. Because the the way that Justice League probably would have done better is if they, what's the word I'm looking for, waited for Zack Snyder to 
have as much time as he needed to process what had happened in his life with the tragedy, put Justice League away, because it's not like people were clamoring for a Justice League movie, especially after BVS. So what I would have done is if I was Warner Brothers, I would have said, all right, I would never have brought in Joss Whedon to begin with. I would have said, let Zach have the time with his family, and when he comes back, we all sit down and we say, all right, what are we going to do for our Justice League movie? And I really would have waited, which they didn't do, for Marvel to do their magnum opus with Infinity War and Endgame. I would have let them do that, take some time and say, all right, let's not do that and do our own thing for our big Justice League movie. But they didn't choose to do that. They, I think, used passing of his daughter as an excuse to jettison him off the project completely. That's my opinion to a certain extent. I don't think that was the entire reason, but I think they used it as validation to do what they wanted to take control away from Snyder. And to me, this whole situation is them reaping what they sow. Not to get into my thoughts on the movie at all, but this whole clusterfuck. And I've used that word a lot in our discourse over the years, but I think there is no better summation of clusterfuck in entertainment than this DC franchise. When you look at the decisions they've made, the course correcting, the backpedaling, controversy, the, the outrage about fan casting, it seemed like no matter what they did, it was that dog meme of the building on fire saying, this is fine. To me, that's what Warner Brothers slash DC was in a nutshell. So I can't wait until there is a five-hour documentary about the rise and fall of WBDCU <laughs> in the same way that WWF put out that rise and fall of ECW documentary. It's crazy. Like, it's crazy. I can't believe this thing actually got made. Adam, what were you thinking when you start hearing rumblings that Zack Snyder had another cut up his sleeve? I was not entirely surprised. We'd already gotten the Batman vs. Superman Ultimate Edition. There had been other ones where there had been different cuts. And let's not forget that DC's history with tinkering and replacing directors can be drawn all the way back to Superman. And this almost feels like that release the Donner cut, which eventually happened. Matt said a lot of things very eloquently there, and it's hard to, to dispute any of that. And, and I'm a big DC Comics guy. I'm literally looking at kind of a wall of short boxes like right in front of me while I'm recording this. And I didn't think that thought we would see an extended edition or a different version. I didn't think we would see a completely different vision, different look. I didn't think we'd get a movie that was more than double the length of what we saw in theaters and what I had already bought, you know, on Blu-ray at that point. I didn't think that we'd have a director come out talking about that he's not going to use a single image that was shot by the other guy. I mean, there's some hostility that is raging there which is crazy for somebody who, for all intents and purposes, and in everybody you talk to, says that Zack Snyder is one of the nicest, most mm -hmm. affable guys that you will meet. And he seems passionate, maybe is the right word. Not angry, but passionate that he wanted his movie to be out. And you know what? His cast and crew 
really stood behind him in that. You normally don't get word one out of anybody in front of the camera. And a lot of these people really stuck up for him. And, you know, not just Ray Fisher and him getting completely fucked by the brass over at D.C., but a lot of other people, Momoa and Gal Gadot. Affleck was surprisingly quiet for a long time till he finally came around, but he had everybody on his side and wanted to see his vision come out. Yeah, and it should be said, too, that you know when Whedon was brought on to do that series of reshoots, I don't think we've ever seen two contrasting visions like that. And I like that movie well enough, problem, though, is it just doesn't fit in the DC universe. You know, I think Whedon tried to really marvel this thing up and put his stamp on it in a way where the the humor that he has and everything else and stuff that I did like just doesn't fit. And so it became pretty apparent that there was a different cut out there because Zack Snyder, they asked him, you know, do you want to just leave gracefully or do you want us to fire you? He decided, look, I don't want to put this fight up anymore. You guys do whatever you need to do. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to take my laptop, and on this laptop has his cut, and, you know, he can have it for himself. Maybe he can show his friends. Maybe he can say, well, I did it like this. I did it like that. And, by the way, that cut was black and white, which is bizarre, but (laughs) whatever. Uh, No music was added to it, nothing. And... So once Whedon's cut is out there, and by the way, stuff started coming out about how Whedon was on that set. Fisher was already starting to put lawyer, a lawyer team together, and he's going to sue for the way he was treated on that set. We had Gal Gadot who said, look, I had one problem with him on one day. I spoke to the brass, and as soon as I did, I had no other issues. But everyone else was like, you know what, Whedon wasn't exactly the nicest of guys on this set. And that's when that stuff started coming out. And we had his ex-wife write a whole expose on him in, I believe it was Variety or something, that just completely defamed him. So his reputation was taking a massive hit. And let's face it, boys. Adam, we all know, everybody has said Zack Snyder is a hell of a nice guy. I said it when I saw him at Comic-Con. I mean, I actually got to shake the guy's hand. He is a super nice guy. But he fed this. He took... Everything that people were saying, well, there's got to be another cut out there. And he started putting frames of what was in his cut and not in Whedon's cut on Twitter and got people talking to the point where when HBO Max had launched, they would say, oh, we're going to put Sesame Street on HBO Max. And everybody was like, fuck Sesame Street. We want to see the Snyder cut. So everything was fed. And what I have to say here is this cult that started bullying people into making this cut happen can go fuck themselves because they really, really took this thing and ran with it. And Snyder didn't do anything to defame that. He wanted to get somehow, some way, he was going to get this out there no matter what. It's amazing to me that Snyder is the nicest guy in the world, and I don't dispute that whatsoever. I've watched interviews. I love his commentary tracks that he does on his Oh, yeah, movies. his commentaries are great, yeah. Very insightful guy, very smart guy. And I think a lot of the, the pot shots that people take at him as far as being an Ayn Rand sympathizer, you know, a right-wing filmmaker, I think all that's bullshit. But for all the nice things people have to say, I wish his fan base and his hardcore fan base embodied that. They are not the aspirational people that Superman should be. I think a lot of – I shouldn't say a lot because this gets into a whole ball of wax about the, the bot theory that was put out there by Rolling Stone – that people were just creating accounts to get this thing made. A lot of crazy shit that happened to, to, to get this movie made. This would not have gotten made 20 years ago. 
which goes to show just how much power social media has. So I think there's a lot of indecisiveness and bad blood that I have towards a lot of people. Number one, Warner Brothers, you reap what you sow. You brought this on yourselves. They were bullied. They were belittled. But they have no one to blame but themselves for this whole decision. Snyder putting those teases out there was fanning the flames in the worst kind of way and him being dismissive of it to a certain extent and being silent when there were accusations and belittling as being kind, downright harassment. I think that is where you step in as a creator. All it would have taken was for him to put out a statement. Didn't have to be extensive, did not have to be as long as this movie. But the fact that he said nothing really irked me. And I do believe that he holds some culpability in what has transpired as far as the negative publicity. To the cast and the the actors, the production crew, I think they were justified, no pun intended, to stand up for their director. Because I don't think you look at people like Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot. Snyder's vision is what convinced them to sign on for these projects in the first place. So by that very definition, they should stand by. And I think the reason Ben Affleck was quiet, let's be honest, he had a lot of personal shit he was working on. So I don't think this was priority A whatsoever. So looking at everything that has transpired in the buildup until this thing actually was announced, I don't have a single party to blame because I passed the baton to everybody. I agree. You know, the little images put out here and there, I I never knew what the hell Vero was as a social media site till that was Zack Snyder's site to champion. I go back, though, I blame also um, David Miller and Deadpool for for leaking what they did to get that movie. You know, everybody feels entitled to have what they want. And this brought out the worst in keyboard warriors hiding behind fake names on social media. And it's, it was disturbing. It was unacceptable. The whole come at me, bro. You know, just, I will, like, I would rather meet you in the street than behind a fucking keyboard. Because I am that person. And you want to attack somebody else, you want to use homophobic slurs, you want to use racial slurs, you want to use attack people for their gender, you can come at me with that. And I don't think anybody would actually have the balls to do so. So when it comes down to something like this, I'm glad that there's a vision out there to be seen. And, yeah, much like the way Matt nicely put it, like I'm disgusted by some of the measures people went thinking that they deserved to get a movie that didn't exist out. So I'll say Warner Brothers learned a lesson out of this because as the Batgirl directors, what happens when they try to go into a server to look up a movie that they worked on? It doesn't exist for them. The Warner Brothers learned a very expensive lesson out, out of this. And Adam, you mentioned Superman too. We're going to talk about that next year. Uh, and to preview, no, we are not going to have a separate podcast for the Donner cut. But this is not <laughs> unprecedented. The a similar thing happened. They took Donner off that project. The Salkens were like, it was a different situation where they, it wasn't that the movie wasn't working. It was that th- them and Donner just did not get along. And they were like, we can't have this guy on here if he's just going to fight us every which way. So they got a guy named Richard Lester to come and give a lighter tone, a lot like what Lee Whedon did here. And they, they ended up putting that movie out. And eventually, 2006, we had 
had a groundswell of people who wanted to see that cut that Donner put together. And yes, they've ended up releasing it. And yes, I do own it. It's in my Blu-ray collection. So this is not unprecedented. But what I am going to say here is what Warner Brothers did and what HBO Max did was after all of this went down, their server was just getting bombarded with tweets and everybody saying, look, just release the cut, release the cut. They finally went to Snyder and they said, all right, we fucked up. What would it take to bring you back? And Snyder said that if I'm going to come back, he's like, I'm not going to take any extra salary because he was already paid for that movie. He took no extra salary. He asked for, you know, an extra set of money. They gave him $70 million to finish this movie on top of everything else that was paid on this fucker. And so he went and he got Junkie XL back and he did a whole new score. Uh, We can Junkie XL for Danny Elfman's score, but... When Snyder called Junkie XL, he's like, all right, I'll compose a whole new score. So he composed, I think he said, like three hours or so of music, uh, maybe more extra music for this particular cut. And like you said, Adam, I mean, this is a very expensive lesson because he pretty much had to redo this entire movie. And the other mandate they said was no reshoots. Well, we get a reshoot, and it's at the very end of this movie, and we'll definitely talk about that. This is one of the most craziest stories I've ever heard of a movie that had come out. And look, I didn't get sucked into it. I have a Twitter account, and I did see a little bit of it. But this was going on at a time where, let's face it, our world was in a different place. We were going through a huge pandemic. I had to think about whether I was not going to be on the streets or not around this time. And I could care less about all these fucking Snyder pissants going around and trying to fight to get this cut out there. But it was released, and I did watch it one time. A lot like this particular viewing, I had one fucking four-hour ass-numbing fucking viewing of this movie. And that's where I left it until we uh, reviewed this film. Now, Matt, did you see this today was released? I waited a few days because I was worried if I watched it. I didn't want it to crash or have the server shit the bed because I wanted to watch this as Snyder intended, as one four-hour magnum opus. And I do think the rise of streaming in particular has removed the excuse of a movie being too long as far as binge-watching. Because you look at stuff on Netflix, like Stranger Things, people will watch the entire eight hours in one sitting. So putting it to streaming, I thought, was practical. Because with COVID, there was no way Warner Brothers was going to gamble and put this in a theater. But speaking of Warner Brothers and the production, you talked about the Superman thing. It is amazing how much, like George Lucas says, poetry, it's like poetry, they rhyme. Because Warner Brothers did not learn their mistake. And the whole thing of that Donner cut was also inspired by internet Mm -hmm. message boards. And they were nowhere near as headstrong or as repulsive in some of their vernacular. But it's just crazy to me that almost 15 years later, it's like the exact same situation. And for all the craziness and all the, the hoopla, the fact that this actually got made and I saw a trailer... Because that, that was a big thing when the trailer yeah. came out. I said, okay, it's going to happen. And I, like I said at the end of the Birds of Prey show, I don't want any backlash from Snyder himself saying, oh, this is not really, mm-hmm. not quite what I wanted. Because he said, when he said, I'm not using a single frame that Joss Whedon shot, I said, okay, then you have no, you have no legs to stand on but your own because this is truly your vision. And he got, you know, 70 million, that's uh, a big chunk of change. That's almost what Birds of Prey was made for completely. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of expectations that I had. Look, it's difficult for me to not go into this movie with bias, considering how this came about. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't wear that 
as a as a badge of disdain for a certain demographic, and I just I couldn't get past that. But to answer your question, I did do it in one sitting, both times, first time and for this rewatch. Although I didn't realize I would have to get up and change my Blu-ray to disc two, like I had to do a Titanic on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> This was one, I couldn't believe it when I saw the commercial on, I think it was the first DC fandom that they had, uh, or the first preview for it. I actually have a Zack Snyder's Justice League shirt that I got for the charity thing that he did. I didn't realize I was going to get an associate producer shirt out of it, which I did, so technically I have a shirt that says I'm an associate producer of this film. But yeah, this was, I don't know if it was day one, because I think like Matt, I think I was worried about the server. I learned my lesson on Luke Cage and Netflix on that. So I think I waited two days, and the first, at least the first two times I watched it, I watched it fully all in one go, other than pausing to get up and take a piss. I've seen the Justice is Grey version as well. I've seen that in pieces. And since then, I've seen individual chapters that I've wanted to watch, but there is still not, at least on HBO Max, I don't know the disc, I just watch this on HBO Max, it does not set up for you to be able to watch it by chapter. You actually would have to fast-forward or rewind to each individual one. Yeah, and to harp on that a little bit before we get into the plot here, majority of stuff we've already talked about, by the way. Hey, this will be quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Famous words. You mentioned the streaming and everything that went into this. You know, there was a point of time where Warner Bros. was like, okay, we'll release it, but we'll release it in television form. Like, they're going to release it as a series. And I guess that's why it's broken up into chapters, right, Matt? Yeah, I guess they originally thought about doing it as six weekly drops. Yep. Because it's broken up into six chapters. But the thing is also, the chapters are not all of equal length. Yeah. And I don't think all of them would be entirely satisfying as episodic viewing. Because some are better than others, but... They should have called this Justice League bigger, longer, and uncut. <laughs> it, is, it is four hours, like to the yeah, almost to the minute. Like almost. this is, like yeah. Adam said, twice as long as Justice League. But here's the thing: you look at some of the, the some superhero movies, like Avengers Endgame was three hours, and I'm like, fuck it, what's one more hour? Because, like I said, Netflix has ruined the excuse. Because James Cameron's talking about for Avatar 2, I don't want people bitching about sitting there for three hours. <laughs> I, I miss a good intermission in a movie theater, though. Damn Me it. too, goddammit. Yeah, because like, the last one that I remember was Hateful Eight. I saw the road show that had an actual intermission worked into it. Because mm-hmm. really, the if you watch the Blu-ray disc, you look at the, the changing where they choose to cut off as the intermission, and I'll talk about if you do, if you're curious where that where that break is. Yeah, I saw it too. But when they were gearing up to do this, let's not forget that HBO Max was you know a new server, new service. HBO had HBO Go for a while. Yeah. So they had they had a way to watch HBO on an app. This was a different thing. And if you look at amortizing this cost into that and using this to push that service, and love it or hate it, and we're going to get into the film, but It did a lot to push that service. They made some other choices that were a little more, well, I don't know if a little more because this is controversial as it gets, but they made some interesting decisions to launch HBO Max. However, I think it has worked out tremendously is I don't think there's a better streaming service with the amount of content that's on there. I think it's head and shoulders above fucking 
everybody. So love it or hate it, it got me to subscribe for it, and I don't see myself unsubscribing anytime soon. All right, send your advertising dollars to Adam. I, Please, I, I believe he wants that advertising money. All right, boys, what do you say we uh, we just go ahead dive into this? We made a big enough build up, kind of like. Zack Snyder did. It's time to get into the plot. We open up with Junkie XL score and all the studio and DC logos before cutting to not Superman getting interviewed for a podcast with a un-CGI'd mustache, but Superman's death. We then cut to Cyborg because we need to establish how important he is here. So this scene of Superman dying, I think this was actually a good decision because we're actually seeing how it affects the mother boxes, correct? Yeah, his death yell is what wakes mm-hmm. up the mother boxes. I do think this is a damn good way to open the movie because it. The thing, I, the other ironic thing is that if you remember Richard Donner with Superman, he originally pitched one and two was one movie. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was going to be one four-hour epic. Justice League was originally going to be two movies. There was going to be part one, which is the Steppenwolf movie, part two, which was going to be Dark Side, apparently. I don't believe it was entirely written as that when the whole shuffling of the deck happened. So for what it is, this feels very much like a a conclusion to a three-film arc between Man of Steel, BVS, and this. You can critique, and I'm sure we'll argue about how successful it is compared to, let's say, the theatrical cut, but it does feel like it is actually a part of this continuity in the way that Justice League really does not. I don't know. The opening always seems weird to me just because I don't know what his yell... I don't know why that would turn on the mother boxes. But I I agree that it sets up the continuity well, and it gives it a way to go, and it gives reasoning for it. I'm just... Did Lois never make Clark yell in a way that would set him off? Come on. (laughs) Wow. Well, she must have, because there's a very strange insinuation. Yes, yes. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that when when we get to it. We then go underwater and Wonder Woman's homeworld that they all feel the death as well. So we're not celebrating Superman here. We're just here to feel the death from all angles. Um, but this makes much more sense. It answers the why now question of Steppenwolf slash Darkseid choosing to invade. This yeah. is the definitive, okay, there is no Kryptonian. He even says it. So if there was ever a time for them to try to, A, the mother boxes are finally awoken by S- Superman's death, so it does clear up some of that confusion about, okay, why is the uh, the Skyrim boss showing up out of a portal to go steal some uh, Nintendo GameCubes? And the funny thing is, when you look at the credits, I'm like, okay. Th- and this was me watching the opening. I'm like, oh, Willem Dafoe is actually going to be in this. Yeah, same. Oh, uh, like Jesse Eisenberg gets a credit. I, th- I think there's a couple other people who get. Uh, David Thewlis gets a credit. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting seeing those names pop up, which does, and I will say, this feels like an actual epic. It has the scale of a Justice League movie that it warrants, again, in a way that the truncated 2017 cut really does not. We cut to part one as we see multiple snow-sided landscapes, and then we see Bruce show up to try to recruit Aquaman, but is rapidly turned down. But Arthur talks to Bruce and tells him that he doesn't owe anyone anything before turning away. But this scene's not over as we see a choir of some sort sing for quite a while here. And you know what, Matt, you mentioned that this feels more epic. This is more Lord of the Rings than superhero to me. Yeah, especially with the way the dark side fight where he replaces Steppenwolf for some... Uh, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I 
it's fascinating to watch this in comparison to the Justice League 2017, but it feels epic fantasy in the way that Lord of the Rings does. So I have two points I want to make. Number one, it's confusing how long this takes place after Superman's death because we cut from Superman dying to Batman is now out with a yes. beard recruiting Aquaman. Yeah. It's a very strange cut. I think they could have come up with a better transition to, to make that a little bit clearer. But two, you can tell this was not a reshoot because Ben Affleck looks totally different than he does in the scene they shot for the 2017 cut. Yep. yep. He looks much better here. He's not bloated. Uh, like, he looks a lot of... <laughs> but the woman singing, Zach. Not every character needs a music video in yeah. this movie. I think there is a way, because this movie's four hours, if you trim this down to three hours, which I think is doable. Personally, Absolutely. This easily could have been the theatrical version that would have gotten released. But for all the reasons we talked about, it was not meant to be. I think there's so many sequences in this movie that could be trimmed and condensed or eliminated entirely to get this to a wieldy length. Yeah, I mean, there's things like this. I don't mind the singing. I do mind how long I have to sit there listening to the singing. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes more is a lot more. We then cut to Martha Kent, who climbs into a moving truck and drives away from her longtime home. Bruce goes to his helicopter, where Alfred is complaining about the cold and saying that maybe Bruce isn't cut out to be a recruiter. And man, you know, one of the things that Snyder does here, we get a lot more Alfred in this movie. <laughs> yeah, we do. Lots. He's in this a lot. The way that the plot, like these interactions, they're entirely different in the... yeah. Dialogue is totally different. There's stuff that's outright removed. Mm -hmm. The introductions are different. It's just so strange to me how when you watch this, it really sort of is an entirely different movie. It is. Despite having the same structure and story, what happens remains the same. It's still the same story, but the way scenes are put together, it's so fascinating to see how how this movie functions in comparison to the last one. And if you talk about it, I'm going to bring up something else here, something Joss Whedon related. He wrote the Alien Resurrection script, and if you talk to him, he says, well, what they filmed, it was my words, but it was just different. Like, it just wasn't the way I wrote it. And I'm seeing a lot of that here. I mean, this is a completely different movie, and it's, it's weird to me to say that because we just reviewed this, and we do have some of the same scenes, as much as Snyder denies it. We get a lot of the same scenes in this movie that we saw a few weeks ago, but it's a completely different movie. A scene like this, where I'm like, okay, I've seen the snow scene, seen a recruit, that, yeah, that it feels so different, and it's massive. I feel like we get the same Bruce Wayne throughout this entire movie. That's something that we did not get with 2017's Justice League. Because of the reshoots, because of everything else, the characterizations and the way they're played are so wishy-washy throughout the course of the movie. So if anything else, getting a consistent performance is already a giant step up from what we had before. And this establishes one thing that these... I guess, reinterpretations do, is I like that in this version, this is a Batman who feels remarkably remorseful about what he did. Mm -hmm. um, and he's yeah. trying to make up for it. I feel like that is given lip service in the theatrical cut, but is not really the focal point of Batman's mission. And he's actually kind of charming in this movie in a way that he's not throughout most of the 2017 movie. So I think when you look at the characters of the six... Because, again, there's technically a seventh, but we'll get to it. There's only one who I think is not really improved in this cut. Oh, interesting. 
We cut to Lois entering the streets, and Matt, it seems that you're getting your wish in reviewing musicals because we have more singing here. Uh, let's, let's talk about what you mentioned earlier, the insinuation that Lois is pregnant. I do know for a fact that one of Snyder's pitches that Warner Brothers completely kiboshed was while Superman was dead, she had an affair with Bruce Wayne. Yep. My God. Would not be an affair. He was dead. <sighs> okay. Whatever. <laughs> Superman never dies. <laughs> Are we to think this is part of that, where this is Bruce's kid? We'll never know. Because the thing is, how long has Superman been dead for? That's the other thing. Because remember, you know, it's nine months to term. Kryptonian mm-hmm. uh, sperm operates much slower than our, <laughs> than our anatomy. I'm glad it didn't go with that Batman and Lois hooking up. I hate it, too. I, I Oh, God, that's, that's so... That's, it's funny you say that's a Snyder thing. That feels like a Joss Whedon. It does. But that was, that was a Snyder pitch that he wanted that love triangle. I guess you're not going to worry. You can't get a suntan on the belly. You know, those <laughs> yellow, yellow rays are going to get through. Yeah, no shit. We cut to Metropolis, where the bridge is apparently built in a tribute to Superman, and a bank is being robbed, with snipers ready to shoot if there weren't so many kids, before Wonder Woman jumps down and we see the scene play out with her saving the day, and then throw the bomb into the sky before jumping back down and saving everyone. Same scene, but man, does this play differently in Snyder's hands. You say differently. I say a shit fuck ton better. Other than randomly throwing people into walls just so we could see blood on the other side of it, which I never understood the reasoning for, everything in this scene, it feels less truncated. It feels like there's a reason behind it all. And even, you know, and I know you haven't been too kind to, to Miss Godot here, but I think she's considerably improved in this as well. Daddario would do it better. Go ahead, Matt. All right, so I still feel that this scene, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't need to be here as, as far it's as a plot option. I also think Snyder, again, overindulges in the collateral damage when that bomb goes off. I'm pretty sure there could have been a more practical way for her to dispose of it. But one of the biggest compliments I can give this movie is that in the previous two movies that he did, I think Snyder looks at them too much as gods, as mythic figures. In this version, I think he actually finally looks at them as actual people and characters. And they're viewed as aspirational heroes, like when Wonder Woman talks to that little girl. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the warmth that I like from these kind of movies. Same. But I do think Wonder Woman, of all the characters, she's the one that I don't feel is like a staunch improvement compared to the theatrical cut. Because everyone else kind of gets added scenes to fill out their, their backstory. Here, she's predominantly in the same role as the seasons, you know, knows everything, still the exposition machine, but yeah. I don't feel like she's really fleshed out in a way that some of these other Justice League members are. We then cut to the awakening of Steppenwolf and the fight that ensues as a result of it, and Snyder is doing what he does best here. Everything looks pretty, and my God, would you check out all that goddamn slow motion. You know, if you cut out the majority of the slow motion, you'd have a pretty good two-and-a-half-hour film. It's crazy, because I thought about this, and this film and Bibia has got a lot of slow-mo. You know what doesn't? His first Superman movie, Man of Steel. That movie mm-hmm. was all about watching the first superhero fight like actual superheroes. Just seeing that, just ridiculous, fast motion. And I don't know why it has changed so much that we have to get the slowdown, and every time Wonder Woman slows down... and. I watch everything with closed captions on. It's it's just what I do. Seeing lament chant every time she's doing something because you get that weird just choral going on in the background. 
I think this scene, it's about twice as long as the Amazonian battle in the, the previous version. And when I talk about scenes that could, could be condensed, I think this is a prime example. We saw in the Wonder Woman movie that the Amazonians are more than capable of holding their own. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel the need to showcase that again, but Steppenwolf looks a lot better, I'll say that. Yeah. And this is where I get into the, why, why the fuck did you change the design in the first place? Th- that's one of the more baffling technical decisions they made, was to just revamp his design, and it looks so much better here. He looks more alien, which I appreciate. But I think there was a way to, you know, you tack five minutes off this scene, you tack a couple minutes off the woman, you know, literally getting wet for Aquaman. <laughs> you cut the Lois Lane slow dance music video. That's 10, 12 minutes right there. Yeah, and I like returning to Themyscira. So I love seeing the Amazons, but... There's not a need for it. If you have a four-hour cut, great. You can feel free to put it in there. If you're making a movie for theaters, and if this wasn't a reshoot, why would you even shoot it? Why would you have all this extra footage? What's the use? I Mm -hmm. don't get that. This is why, not to go off on a tangent, this is why Marvel was smart to not show Thanos getting the Power Stone off Xandar to start Infinity War, because we know it's an inevitability, and there's no need to show it. We see Steppenwolf and his pair of demons emerge from the water, and here's some more video game CGI madness going on right here on the screen. And, Matt, you're absolutely right. They improved his look. They also improved his voice. He's even, like, way deeper and more intimidating when he talks. They say that men will not know what the fire means, but she will. It takes them 20 minutes to shoot this goddamn arrow. You're not fucking kidding. God damn. This, to me, is the Zack Snyder I can't stand. There is no justifiable reason for this to take as long as it does. Absolutely not. Steppenwolf says the box they have is toxic, and they need to find the other two. We then cut to Bruce telling Alfred that he needs to keep a promise to Superman and bring everybody together. And we see one of Dr. Stone's employees run into a parademon in the lab as we then cut to Wonder Woman's mom sending an arrow to warn her daughter, as you said, Matt. We cut to Diana painting a sculpture, and she sees the Amazon arrow being covered on the news. Meanwhile, Dr. Stone, he opens the door to where the Superman ship is as he comes home to Victor. Diana finds the arrow and then jumps down to open a door that shows her all three mother boxes and what they do, which all lead to who is pictured dark side. What is this, like an archaeological dig? What's going on here? Yeah, it kind of looks like it. It, It's not very clear, but... She she seems like like fucking Laura Croft here. Looks like remnants of ancient Rome. Yeah, it could be the Greeks drew this. You know, you have Zeus and Ares in this movie, so they probably could have heard the story from the gods and drawn it. Uh, for the record, Garrett, that statue that she's painting has more facial expressions than Gal Gadot does. You're not kidding. But the most exciting thing to me was actually being teased with seeing Darkseid, because he came before Thanos in the comics. He is DC's Thanos, basically, and he was only mentioned by name in Justice League. So I liked seeing him as the harbinger of doom in those hieroglyphs, mm-hmm. and I honestly didn't think we'd see him. I was very surprised later on. We cut to a sailor being rescued by Aquaman as he heads into a bar and orders a whiskey. We then get this long scene of him just drinking this whiskey and diving down into the water and getting lectured by Willem Dafoe, who convinces him to protect the mother box. Again, more shit that could be cut. I, no, I think you need this Willem Dafoe scene. No, 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 no. The Willem Dafoe scene, I'm fine with. Him fucking walking in slow motion and drinking whiskey, I'm not fine with. Uh, no, that you're absolutely right. But one of the things I think this cut does is provide context for why these characters are the way they are. But part of it is also informed by we've already had the Aquaman movie, 
So he feels comfortable having the conversation about, you know, they name drop his brother and they mention his heritage. So it actually feels like we are building to the Aquaman movie. So this shit would have made sense in Justice League. So we didn't walk into Aquaman completely blind for some of the unfamiliar. Again, I don't understand why the scene was cut because it's two minutes of vital information for Aquaman's character to explain why he's so resistant to joining the Justice League. Yeah, weird choices on the previous, on the Justice League, as compared to this, what was cut when it really would have helped, as you said, it would have helped inform, you know, what was coming along and what was coming next. So really weird choices in the other one. Who the hell is Dasad? Is that Darkseid? No, Dasad is Darkseid's, like, interpreter, basically. Oh, for fuck's Uh, sake. He's his his royal vizier. Yep. (sighs) This handmaiden. All these fucking characters. Oh, just wait for grainy goodness. (sighs) <sighs> Steppenwolf tells him that he will take this weak world as well as find and unite the other mother boxes for Darkseid. We see the terrible Bruce and Diana scene again where she looks at the new ship that Bruce is building and says that she once knew a guy who could fly it. So we're still bringing Steve Trevor into this. Yeah, but they, at least they cut the artificial tension scene where he gives her shit for longing after some good dick. You're not yeah. wrong. And um, they did not the error. I was <laughs> explain yes. the history of the Great War, so to speak. Yeah, I was just about ready to say the Diana delivery of the exposition still sucks. If you're gonna fucking make a new movie, give somebody else to give the goddamn exposition. And this is definitely Snyder because it feels straight out of 300, doesn't it? I, th- I feel like we see Gerard Butler here. Well, Zeus looks like a Gerard Butler stand-in. Yeah, Bruce decides they all have to be ready and they must find the others. So we see Ezra Miller's Flash show up late to a job interview and then rescue a girl from getting killed in an accident and then this damn burger and hot dog. Oh, boy. Do we have to see all of this? What's crazy about this, this was in the trailer for Justice League. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. That's Iris West Allen. That's his future wife. And it's crazy that that got cut. And that scene of him breaking through the glass... That was featured in a trailer, and to cut out one of the scenes that looks so fucking cool, that part looks great. I don't know if I need the rest of it. Again, strange choices, but she plays no matter in the rest of this either, so you don't need it, because I don't believe she's in the Flash movie anyway. I don't believe we're getting a Flash movie, but I don't think she's in the Flash movie anyway. Yeah, I thought they were setting up like a romantic interest for him or something here. Yeah, exactly who it's supposed to be. I don't even think they name drop her, but yeah, that's Iris West. And by the way, this is another bad Snyder music drop, too. This is terrible music to accompany this scene. It's bad music, but I think this is a much better intro for Barry Allen than the jail cell scene, because we're seeing him actually save somebody, and I like his cover of pretending to be with the dogs the whole time. Because mm-hmm. I was not expecting levity in a Zack Snyder movie. So to see him actually take the hot dog and feed it to the puppies, I thought that was actually pretty funny. That's not um, the only time that Ezra's had a wiener in his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, well, there's also, I can't believe that they don't introduce the Flash until an hour into this movie. Yeah. Steppenwolf interrogates someone because he smells the scent of the mother box on him. What is this minority report type spider creature that he puts on this guy? <laughs> What, what is this thing, comic book dudes? Oh shit, that is what that looks like, isn't it? Yes, it's a device. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen it before right. uh, in this movie. But yep, I mean, this is something Snyder added, right? This is this wasn't in the the uh, theatrical cut. No, well, it has to be because he said he's never going to use a frame from that movie. <laughs> well, but he does though. Yeah, but but the the stuff he uses has to be the stuff he shot. 
you would think, but he didn't use the scene of Aquaman sitting on the whip, and that was something he shot. I don't know. Did he, though? I don't know. We cut to Lois, who pulls out Superman's cape, and then Diana and Bruce, they go through the others they need to recruit, with Diana saying her people once fought Atlanteans. That's what they are? Atlanteans, yep. Yep, and she's not sure they can trust Aquaman. This is something when I thought we were actually going to get a Flashpoint Paradox movie, something that plays into it big there, because in that movie, there's a war of Amazon versus Atlantis, and all of Earth is pretty much going to be wiped out by those two cultures waging war on each other, where at one point, Wonder Woman and Arthur, Aquaman, have sex, Mera finds out, and next thing you see is Wonder Woman wearing Mera's crown and holding up her head. Huh. So, oh yeah, the Flashpoint Paradox goes really, really dark. So a lot of these little things seem like it was going to lead towards that. Now, Ezra Miller's antics, I think, ensure that that's never going to happen, but... I think there's a world where we get a couple movies in a Flashpoint universe, I believe. I tell you, one thing I was not excited about was more Mira. Oh, boy. Yeah. You want to talk about the... Yeah. What sort of fucking cheap-ass Austin Powers British accent was she trying to... I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. Can she deliver a line without like no. standing and looking cockeyed and off to the other direction? I don't have an issue with her, as a, but wow. I don't think I've seen her in a movie that's not this, and mm-hmm. whew, I don't think I'm ever going to watch it. In All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, she was pretty good, but since then... The movie like sucked. The movie sucked, but she was good in it. I like her in Dried Angry, that's about it. Since then, she's just... She I think of what she did when she left the courthouse. We cut to Cyborg, reminiscing about his past as a football player and him getting caught hacking into the school system to change his friend's grade, and then his mom dying in a car crash. Can anybody here drive a fucking car? This is like the third or fourth time we've seen somebody not looking at the road as they drive. How do you guys feel about Snyder giving Cyborg his backstory, which he was so unhappy got cut in the Joss Whedon cut? Extremely happy it's included. Really? I don't need it quite as long as it is, but I do think it's important to show that humanity for Cyborg, to show the humanity lost and to have one character trying to refine a sense of humanity among these gods and Batman. So I was quite disappointed because in Justice League, we don't get anything for Cyborg. And here to show his mother and the decisions that that his dad had to make even you know his dad ends up being a better character just because of what's included here so yeah i think it's it's considerably better it's longer like a lot of things we discussed it i don't need as much of it but i need it you know one thing that was interesting that i never knew about cyborg was later on when he's burying the mother box he he's actually burying it right there by his mother's grave that's his grave right like he's supposed to be dead yeah i never knew that about that character Dr. Stone tells Victor his mom would want him living the life, and Victor responds with, if it wasn't for him not being at the game, his mom would be alive now. So we're getting a lot of daddy issues in this, too. Well, that's uh, the thing with DC Comics in general, are paternal issues and wrestling yeah. with what, what your parents want. I mean, look, that's that's the core of Man of Steel. Absolutely. That, core that of Superman. Plays, yeah. yeah, that plays into Batman. Wonder Woman, given her history, Aquaman, Flash, his father's in prison for a murder he didn't commit. This is consistent, uh, but I think it's a damning omission on the part of the 2017 movie to omit all of Cyborg's reason to give a shit about Cyborg being on this team. I think it's a great idea to make him the heart of the movie, but in a practical sense, I think a lot of his scenes are not very good. I agree. Yeah. 
And one thing that was hitting me, too, as I was watching this was what Snyder himself went through in the course of this production. And yes, uh, his daughter hadn't committed suicide yet, but you knew he felt it as a father, the depression that she was going through. And I think he's kind of putting all of, a lot of that in these scenes. Yeah. I definitely felt that. So Cyborg is now learning the suit, and I love the idea, Joe Morton saying that he can launch an entire nuclear arsenal with just a thought. <laughs> like, it's like crazy. <laughs> We see Flash talking to his father, who's in prison, convicted for murdering his mother, and his dad tells him to stop wasting his life and to stop coming to see him. Barry wanders into his place, which is where Bruce is, and Bruce is trying to recruit him for his abilities. Doesn't take much convincing for Barry to join the team, though, so Barry doesn't really resist that much. This scene's almost entirely the same. It's shot for shot. It's almost untouched. They cut out the brunch shit, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But outside of that, it's more or less the same. Yeah, I think the only difference is when they drive away, they added a scene where you get the billboard for suicide prevention. Is it you know, it's a tribute to to Zach's daughter. To put on the side of the paper of things that needed to be cut, we actually have Alfred teaching Diana how to make tea. <laughs> I hate this stuff. And then Alfred shows her a gauntlet that dissipates energy, which they got from the Kryptonian ship. Diana then gets a message to come meet Cyborg, which she does. And before Diana can get her message out, Cyborg just blurts out, fuck the world. So, of course, this is a Snyder cut, so we're going to have these superheroes uttering fuck. Uh, We get another one later. It is R-rated officially. Mm Mm-hmm. We can't say booyah, but we're going to say fuck. Yeah. But also, come off just as juvenile by dropping cuss words like a six-year-old. Absolutely. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people can complain about the Marvel movies being too kidified all they want. But this is no better. No. Dr. Stone is visited by a parademon as Commissioner Gordon starts getting news of what's going on around him and tells his associates that he'll talk to Batman tonight. Again, I completely forgot that fucking J.K. Simmons was in this movie. (laughs) And I had remembered that we got much more of Simmons in this version of it until I watched it again for this discussion. We don't. No, No, we really don't. (laughs) We We see that Aquaman's world, we see Aquaman's world getting attacked by Steppenwolf as he saves Mira from getting killed, but not before he gets his own ass kicked. Meanwhile, Victor sees the bat signal as we see Steppenwolf take control of two out of the three mother boxes. And then we then cut to part four, Change Machine. Batman, Wonder Woman, and Flash, they go meet up with Commissioner Gordon as Cyborg also comes to meet with them. And then after telling Gordon of their plan, they all just vanish, which according to Flash is just rude. So we still get some of the Flash sense of humor here, which I dug. That rooftop scene, that cracks me up. Just yeah. That's a, that's a Batman thing. He gets his information and he just leaves. So that's what it feels like. That's a goddamn. <laughs> but the problem is, Cyborg can't do that because he his metal clanging as he walks. He can't exactly vanish into the night. And this still, you know, you guys mentioned Dark Knight Rises. You guys referenced it. This feels like that fucking Batman to me. I, yep. I, I still feel like Snyder, in his own way, is trying to continue that story. I could see this Batman being an older version of that. Mm-hmm. that absolutely, absolutely. They head to the building as Batman tells Flash he's real when it's useful, which I thought was funny. And then Cyborg, he jumps the gun when his dad is in danger and attacks, just as Wonder Woman does, and we have a full-on battle. Batman gets thrown, and they rescue Dr. Stone as he uses the gauntlet, which Alfred is so excited to see actually works. Again, more fucking Alfred. The Nightcrawler shows up, and we see Wonder Woman grab the sword again, which which was one of my favorite scenes from the last film. 
And uh, I'm glad that I kept that mantra here. Wonder Woman rescues Flash and beats up some parademons. And of course, here's Cyborg taking over the Nightcrawler, a scene that I still hate. <laughs> I just hate the fact that he's taking over this fucking thing. Like, this guy can actually, and we mentioned this in that podcast, but... I just can't stand this vehicle. I don't know no. why, other than John Peters being a producer, why I got a giant spider vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of that too, Spider-Man actually. Spider-Man would love this thing. <laughs> Steppenwolf leaves the battle as Aquaman shows up to stop the unleashed water from drowning them. Nightcrawler makes his way out of the water as Cyborg just flies it away. The mother boxes show Steppenwolf. Well, what do these boxes show him? Something about the anti-life equation? What's all this shit? Yes. Okay, so the anti-life equation is what Darkseid is searching for. Okay. It's why he's decimated worlds. It's it's his raison d'etre. It's what it's all about. And the anti-life equation, depending on which way you want to look about it, but basically it will give him the ability to control everything. Think about it like it gives him immediate mind control. Cyborg tells the team that he's the one that has a third mother box. And Victor gives even more exposition, this time about the Nazis and the box, as well as how his father saved him after his accident caused energy within the boxes to be harnessed as the box went back to sleep. Because, of course, the Nazis are the ones yes. to find <laughs> mystical objects in superhero movies. Like, you, you could pick anybody else. <laughs> We're going to talk a lot about Nazis next year. Uh, he was digging in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, sir. They all agree to use the mother box to awake Superman. As Flash says, he knows they're all thinking it, and Cyborg shows his image, making this hologram the most heroic Henry Cavill Superman has ever looked. Another image that was in the original trailer mm. that never showed up in the movie. Really? That was in the original trailer, huh? Yep. And this is where the movie cuts off on the first disc. Yeah, right here. Uh-huh. Yeah, part four is the last, uh, the last one you see. Mm-hmm. We see Lois and Martha have a conversation with Martha, with Martha saying that she can't tell the world how sad she is that her son is dead. She then tells Lois to come back to the living before leaving and turning into... Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. This right, is Martian Manhunter, like, right? All right, here's why I burst out sure loud. I have never seen a movie do a complete 180 and take a great scene and then immediately turn it to shit. This is stupid as fuck. It's a very emotional scene. It's very well acted. It beats the shit out of the Daily Planet one they did and the theatrical one. They actually have a conversation about what Clark meant to them. And it's ruined by it not being Martha Kent because now all it's going to take is Lois driving to Smallville and say, Hank, thanks, I need the pep talk. And for Martha to say, what the fuck are you talking about? And this is all undone in a practical sense. This, to me, is Zack Snyder setting up a universe that we're never going to get. This is more fan-flaming on his part. It is. I do kind of respect the world-building he's doing, but you're completely right. This is a complete 180. Man, you took a great scene and you just fucked it up. It's not good world-building because it forces you to ask the question, okay, where the fuck have you been? Yeah, no shit. What I don't like about it even more, one, okay, so where's Martha? Which Martha is Martha? Where is she? Is this a scroll fucking invasion thing going on? I mean, where is she? On top of it, this is a reshoot to at least show Martian Manhunter, and I think this is pissed off Zack Snyder that he was not allowed to use the Green Lantern like he wanted to, and he was just like, fine, I'm going to fucking get John Jones in this movie then one way or another. And it is so ham 
fisted to take a line that Matt would generally say, Jason Todd said, God damn, you crowbarred that into this movie awkwardly. He also chose to take a previously established character yes. and retroactively make him Martian Manhunter, which yeah. comes off as incredibly nearsighted because I guarantee you that was not the plan. Absolutely and not. Know, and if it was, no. you would have teased that at any point yes. you managed to that yes. Not to mention that means that Martian Manhunter is one of the most ineffectual and worthless superheroes because he ain't done shit from Man of Steel till now. He's like the Eternals. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the team deduct that the boxes didn't call out to Steppenwolf until Superman died. We then cut to part five as Cyborg and Flash, they dig up Superman. Flash wonders if Wonder Woman would go for a younger guy, and Cyborg responds with, she's 5,000 years old. Every guy to her is a younger guy. I, I like these two together. They're the outcasts. They're the misfits. Mm-hmm. Even the whole, you know, I could do this in a nanosecond. But to find a reason not to, you know, it's, it's th- these moments I think matter. Yeah, and you got the nice moment with Wonder Woman and Aquaman where they talk about their, their races. Yeah. Yeah. These little moments that make this cut actually feel more substantial and make them feel like more of a team. Bruce and Alfred argue over whether it's a good idea to bring back Superman. They do dig him up, and Cyborg hacks into something to get Flash's ID to allow them in. Victor clears the place out and then walks by his dad, who covers for them. They head to the ship as Cyborg hacks into the system. Flash says he can possibly wake the box up with a current... They do it, and Superman is back and unleashes, unleashes his fury on the entire team. Does this scene better to you guys? It's the same function. It's the most excessive scene in the movie, but it's also still my favorite part. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> a weird thing. I also find it very strange that the Atom is a major character that works in Star Labs. Is in this movie, but not in this movie. Drives me nuts. Ryan Choi... Who's the difference? It's the second Adam or third yeah, Adam. It's the, it's the Scott Lang syndrome, where we're going to take the second person yeah. to, to serve as a shrinking superhero. Even the lasso of truth can't take him down, as all the teams strike out, as do the armies who have come to strike at him. He throws Cyborg, Flash, and Aquaman before taking down Wonder Woman and finally Batman, just as he tells Clark that this world needs you. This scene plays so much better in this one for a couple reasons. One, that weird scene that he has with Batman in the in the Whedon version, so bad, the dialogue was bad, and the obvious reshoot of like 30-pound heavier Batman never <laughs> looked like it fit in. I mean, it's bad in Whedon's cut, but I still think, and it's one of my favorite moments, period, is Flash entering the Speed Force, zooming by Superman, and seeing that eye move. Yeah. When I watched it this time, Laura had sat down on the couch with me, and it had got to this moment, and she goes, oh, I love this part. (laughs) You know, which was great. Though I will say, I like the music in the Justice League cut, because I love having that just little bit of string from the original 78 Williams score. But I will go ahead and say, you know, I have knocked Junkie XL's music in the past. I will say his music for this yes, is have. actually damn good. It gives it, like I said earlier, it gives it a more epic feel. And uh, I was, I, yeah, it fits. And I was shocked at how much I did like it. Yeah, I, I love the score for this movie. I also, I'm glad they got rid of the, um, there, there's no awkward mustache close-ups. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a, a nice thing to not to have to deal with. Um, but he's right about Batman not looking 30 pounds heavier because it, it's obvious in that original cut what was a reshoot versus what's not. Lois tells him, let's just go, and they take off together. 
Meanwhile, Dr. Stone, he takes off with the mother box, and Steppenwolf flies in to take it from him by force. Dr. Stone then marks the box with heat before dying. Uh, Steppenwolf then uh, whips Victor with force into a wall before leaving with the box. Aquaman starts questioning whether what they awakened was really Superman before Bruce shows up and says he knows it was because he recognized Lois. Love will bring you back. (laughs) Go ahead, Matt. He hasn't learned from his mistake. He's still exclusively defined by Lois Lane. Yeah. It's so sad what they do to this character. I'm going to bite my lip for now. Yeah. That's something later. We cut to Lois and Clark as they walk in his mom's house, and she puts a flannel on him. The team arrives in the Batcave as Bruce introduces Alfred as the guy he works for, and Aquaman just says, This is badass, Alfred. God, this fucking do-bro Aquaman. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I hate the fact that Aquaman is in these movies. Great Lobo. They determine they can't blow up the boxes from the outside, and Diana says that the boxes are world destroyers. They can't get close to them. Bruce just says that I don't care how many lands Steppenwolf has conquered, he's never fought us. We're family. Not <laughs> <just> united. <laughs> Meanwhile, Clark tells Lois, I'll take that as a yes, as a butterfly flies across his hand. He tells Lois he has a second chance and he's not going to waste it. That's what he thinks. <laughs> Martha shows up. Is this Martha or is this Martian Manhunter? Martha Manhunter. <laughs> <laughs> This reunion is complete, and I do like this moment, actually, you know, and the score swells up, and, you know, it's exactly how you're supposed to feel here. I love seeing Superman with his mom. Yeah, I, me too. I liked it, Man of Steel, I liked it before, and I think Diane Lane is just superb as Martha, I really do. I just hate the fact that this chick I saw in Streets of Fire all those years ago is all is now, like, this old. It's, it makes me feel weird. Are you kidding? She, to me, she's Judge Hershey from Judge Dredd. Oh, Yeah. He tells his mom they wanted him back for a reason, and he wants to find out why. Aquaman, meanwhile, says that he never said he doesn't care as he expresses remorse that they're having Cyborg fight the fight of his life right after losing his father. The Nightcrawler shows back up, and Bruce expresses happiness that Cyborg fixed it. Or no, this is the plane from earlier, huh? Yeah, this is the plane. The, the Nightcrawler is left in uh, John Peter's vault. Never to be seen. <laughs> before Wait telling... Wild, Wild West 2. <laughs> before telling Alfred he knows Superman will be there due to his faith in him. We see Steppenwolf start synchronizing the boxes, and it's revealed he's created a defensive dome. They come up with a plan as Superman goes to his ship and finds out why he's here. And this is actually a really good scene. And it gets me the closest I've ever felt to feeling the wonder I normally associate with this character. I do really enjoy this scene in the ship. And I wondered, knowing your penchant for Superman, how this played to you. Because I'm going, okay, he's walking through the ship. And the ship's just like, hey, fashion show! (laughs) Um, But I like the voiceovers from his Mm -hmm. two fathers, Kryptonian's birth father, his adoptive father. And the same, kind of that same ending to the scene as his first flight in Man of Steel with his hand down and getting ready for that first takeoff. So I love the music swell. And we get to change his suit. We got teased that we were going to get black suit Superman, but we never got it in Justice League. And I didn't think that he actually shot it in a black suit, but I guess he did. And I wonder who colored what version of it, because there's no way they reshot everything in the red and blues. But I dig the suit. I always have. It fits for this storyline, especially for Rebirth, Jesus, Superman. And let's not forget, this is what Tim Burton wanted to do. 
when they were doing it with Cage was yeah. put him in this black suit. We get a Justice League suit-up scene as Batman gives them one more pep talk before sticking to the plan and attacking Steppenwolf again. Batman goes down and tells his team to get to the Unity as he gets the Parademons to follow him in the Batmobile. And there's a nice slow-mo shot as all four of the heroes come into frame. And I know that was from the trailer, but that was actually a pretty sh- cool shot. Well, I thought they were setting up this Batman killing himself. I did, too. Uh, yep. Yeah. Make it three. Mm-hmm. Cyborg unleashes his power as Flash does his thing, and Superman shows up to Alfred. Again, more fucking Alfred. But Step- and, and again, another trailer scene. Because it was in a trailer where you, Alfred, that reflection of the glasses, he said you'd come. It's amazing how much really got fucking cut. Steppenwolf then does battle with the heroes again as Flash gets into position. But before Victor can finish the countdown, Steppenwolf grabs him. And then he tells Diana that he saw her sisters and mother begging for their lives. Again, this Steppenwolf is just a fucking asshole. <laughs> but he's great. Like he's a he's a pretty good villain. I really knocked the theatrical cut for the way they did Steppenwolf, but here I think he's a menace. I didn't feel that last time. He's better. I still don't think he's great. I don't think he's great, but I do think it feels more like a menace than what we felt before. I think he helps sell the idea of what Darkseid is going to be because there's a scene where he's talking to I don't know the magic obelisk. <laughs> there. My God. <laughs> the um I don't know the the magic mirror from Snow White. <laughs> from 2001, and Darkseid appears in it, and he cowers down, and his armor like completely retreats back, and he looks fearful, because he's been so bad. This version has been more badass. It sells Darkseid as just that big bad so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so, well, he, he pimped him out, because he shows up, he's like, bitch, where my world's at? <laughs> <laughs> Steppenwolf then proclaims for Darkseid before bringing his axe down right into Superman. Nice little moment here. Big fight ensues as Superman pounds him down, burns off his horn, and keeps pounding him as Barry gets stopped in his tracks. He builds up the stamina, though, and runs like hell and says, make your own future, reflecting what his dad told him. This is all pretty good stuff, I thought. It is, but they, you know, much like Donner, how do they, they, they fail, and how do we succeed? Because we turn back time. Yeah, uh-huh, I thought of that, too. Yep. I'll say, I think it looks beautiful. The music is great. And there's controversy, because this was the fucking Oscars, like, little fan moment thing that they did, and I know people throw fit, and he still looks awkward as all shit when he runs like an ice skater. It's figure skating. Uh, figure skater, thank you. <laughs> but it looks pretty damn awesome. I'll give it that. And just that orchestration going to it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the three of us have said since the beginning, since we did Batman v Superman, that all of Snyder stuff looks good. Oh, yeah. There's never, ever been a, a dispute on whether or not it looks good. You can make an argument whether it's told well or not, but I think we've always agreed that it looks good. And here, since he's got the money to do it and he's got you know all the resources he needs to finish his cut, I think you can knock a lot of things about this movie, but you cannot knock the look of it. You know what? This, this last battle, and I don't know why they felt the need to change the color tone in 2017, but it literally went from red to blue. Or blue to red. It's crazy that even the shots that are the same, that they completely changed the color of the scene. Mm-hmm. And even that alone just really matters to how it's playing out. Victor sees his family who tell him that he doesn't have to be alone anymore, to which he responds, I'm not broken or alone before dissipating the images. I got family. <laughs> Again, yeah. But this is also the fucking scene in Suicide Squad with Enchantress showing all their yeah. oh, shit. Like, fantasies yeah. at the end. 
Good point. I mean, at least Steppenwolf is not, you know, twerking. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. Steppenwolf. Marvel. <laughs> or uh, She-Hulk. She-Hulk. Oh, God, I can't wait till I get to that. Oh, you can wait, trust me. Yeah, I've heard great things. It's delightful. Steppenwolf gets ready to attack again before Aquaman makes himself useful and stabs him through the back. Okay, now who are these these things that are saying that now that Steppenwolf failed, we won't stop until they win? Who who are these people? So that's okay, hang, hang, hang on. First, they chopped off his head. Yes. And he stepped on it. <laughs> so that's his uncle. He literally crushed his uncle's head underfoot. Okay, so the person to the left is that looks almost like Ebony Maw from... Endgame and Infinity War. That's the sod. And then on the right, the one that looks like she's getting ready to... Uh... Wendelin Christie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. That'd be my big Barda. Uh, <laughs> but the one that looks like she's ready to uh, take a whack at Paul's ankles, that's Granny Goodness right there. Oh, jeez. You weren't lying then. No, she, oh, but she trained the armies of Darkseid. Okay. But with them, we could get Mr. Miracle, we could get Big Barda and the Furies. So Ava DuVernay, her New Gods movie, would have featured Darkseid, Granny Goodness, the Sod, and all of Jack Kirby's Fourth World, but that now is dead. And then they saw a wrinkle in time and went, oh no, we're not giving her that. <laughs> <laughs> Superman pulls up Batman and the team are finally united. And hey, they and all get credits. their close-up. Yeah. Ooh, credits. Boy, I wish. We didn't cut to not credits. A fucking epilogue. Cyborg listens to tapes of his father speaking from his heart. So he just reassembled all these tapes. Aquaman says that he needs to go see his father. So this is the lead-up right into Aquaman. Bubba Fett? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to visit Bubba Fett. <laughs> and then we're seeing, this is Adam, right? This Asian doctor, this is... Who was eventually... Dr. Choi? Yeah. Bruce sees a place that he wants to make the new headquarters, and then Flash calls his father and tells him that his foot is in the door as he now has a job. For long, he doesn't. (laughs) Not for long, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that police department's going to do a background check. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That prison's going to become very familiar to him. Clark thanks Bruce for saving the farm by buying the bank and pulls his jacket to reveal the suit. And then Diana stands with the arrow. And by the way, here's Lex Luthor. Oh, we forgot about him. And who is this in this cell? Who is seeing Lex on this yacht? Who, what, what is all this? The person in the cell is just nobody. Somebody nobody. from Arkham. Okay. That's, there's a distraction. But on the boat, the person that he gets pulling up, the Slade. Oh. As we just discussed, didn't Teen Titans go to the movies? That is Slade. Oh, interesting. That's Deathstroke. It was in the theatrical cut, but the post-credit scene was an entirely different revelation, which is also the pettiest of shit to change. Like, yeah. I don't understand that at all. Because this very much sets up the Ben Affleck Batman movie we were supposed to get. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah. Where it's Deathstroke was going to be the main villain. And apparently he knows he's Bruce Wayne, because Lex tells him. Um, again, that's more like sequel teasing for something we're never going to get. Don't put that in fans' mouths, because now they're going to ask, release the Batfleck movie. <laughs> His life's back, and he married J-Lo. It might, he might decide that he's back for the bat. <laughs> I definitely want to escape that. We then see what was the most talked about scene of the movie coming in as Batman, Mira, and Cyborg. They run into Jared Leto's Joker, who says that Batman knows exactly what it's like to lose somebody he loves before showing his calling card, and then saying that Bruce would never kill him because he needs him to give him a reach-around or something like that. Uh. 
Batman then says he has a message from Harley Quinn for when he fucking kills him because yes we gotta get another fuck in here before evil Superman shows up and all of it is revealed to be a nightmare Bruce is having alright guys Joker didn't Snyder have to do a lot of convincing to get Leto back here (laughs) Supposedly, and I don't know why he went to the effort. I mean, he's got the long hair. He's got the Morbius hair here. He doesn't even look like he did. He doesn't have any of the facial tattoos. He has none of that. Why even get him here? Which is funny because he's never in the same frame as somebody else. So it is ridiculously clear that he came to Zack Snyder's garage and filmed them in front of a green screen. He had his second shot, and he just fucked it up completely. And this scene is also poorly shot. The camera won't stand still. Yeah. yeah. The dialogue he's given is terrible. we got to have Batman drop an F-bomb just because it's edgy. Mm-hmm. And the most significant thing that Zack Snyder adds is going back to murderous Superman. That's his one big thing he adds to Superman. It's not making him holistic. It's not making him a, a symbol. It's we're reverting back to the possibility of him being a murderous psychopath. All it did is, I mean, there's nothing original here. He took the Injustice comic, the Injustice video game, and probably spent $10 million to film 10 minutes here. I, I, I will say, I do like the presence of Leto's Joker here. Like, I like his laugh. I like how he kind of drags it out a bit. I really do. Like, I think he is trying to build something here. He's trying to build a battle between these two. But you're right, Matt. Adding the fucking evil Superman just does nothing for this. That's what they would get together to fight. This is the only reason that you would join this way. Mm-hmm. However, in Injustice, what caused Superman, what pushed him over the line, was he killed the fucking Joker. So maybe that would be the one thing that I'd be happy. Let's get evil Superman over here to put his fist through the chest of Jared Leto Joker. <laughs> the, only, the only time I like evil Superman is when he's not under mind control. Martian Manhunter shows back up. <laughs> Ben Affleck wakes up and realizes that... <laughs> you know what this looked like to me? Like, do you guys remember The Last Starfighter when Centauri revealed himself to be that alien? <laughs> this is the worst! Oh, God. <laughs> and also, Ben Affleck looks like a cancer victim. Yeah, he really uh, does. Like, he hasn't worked out in months. <laughs> he, he, he looks like he just got divorced, which he probably did around the time. Yeah, he reached. did. Yeah. He does not look well. And I love how when he shows up, he's just like... Can I fucking help you? Like, what do you want now? Just leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> I don't think that was intentional. <laughs> uh, Marsha Manhunter says that the fighting is not over yet and that his mother and father would be proud of him uniting to Justice League, as he did. And all of this is just strictly created to try and garner enough interest to have these two fight in the future movie, wasn't it? Well, it, it was to have to set up part two where Darkseid's the villain, mm-hmm. Martian Manhunter joins the Justice League, although apparently... Snyder wanted this to be John Stewart. Yep. Yeah, he was supposed to be the, one of the Green Lanterns. Yeah, I heard about yeah. that. But Warner Brothers said we we want to do them separately. He shot somebody as Green Lantern. I would have cut this last twenty twenty five minutes completely. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, though, I don't think JJ is ever going to get his the Green Lantern series off the ground. Fucking Warner Brothers paid him a quarter of a billion dollars, and they got nothing to show for it at this point. Nope, it's going to stay in this mystery box where it belongs, and we're never going to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's lost. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We then see a dedication to Snyder's late daughter, Autumn, as credits roll on Zack Snyder's Justice League. Boys, pretty much the same plot as before, although not really. I'm glad we discussed it as we did. People don't get your hopes up. Every time there's a new Blu-ray or something released and there are new scenes, we are not going to review it. (laughs) This is a strictly one-time thing, but I feel like we had to cover it. 
Scale of 1 to 10, what do we give Zack Snyder's Justice League? Adam, you go ahead and go, sir. This is a film that, it, it's a mini. This isn't something you could put in a movie theater and expect that you'd get a crowd to turn up to watch it. That said, I enjoyed sitting on my couch and watching this. It, would it play as a miniseries if I broke it up into chapters? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think that each one on its own would stand alone well enough, as opposed to something like Hateful Eight, which the extended version does chapter breaks beautifully. I don't think this, this works quite that way. I think Zack Snyder does bring a story that is much better told than what we got before. The visuals are much more impressive than what we got before. The score is better than what we got before. The story still has a lot of hiccups and still has a lot of mountains to climb. It's still not as clean as it as it could be. And for this far into the DC film universe, it should be. This technically is supposed to be what? They're Age of Ultron type film, you know, it's the second go at an apple and it's not doing what it needs to do. And that's, you know, that's kind of a shame. I like the performances. I think they're improved all around. I like the additions. A Steppenwolf, as we've said, looks more menacing. Doesn't strike fear, but he's much more menacing character. This still has a lot of hiccups, but it's a damn good watch. It's, it's impressive to see the feat that he came through. Like we said before, I'm not going to excuse or think it's in any way acceptable the way that people used their want of this movie to treat people like shit. Unacceptable, and, and it's disappointing that they feel paid off for their behavior. And I hope that something like that never happens again. But I enjoy this movie. I've seen it more than once. I've watched the black and white version, Justice is Grey, more than once. I think what's telling is we didn't even talk about how this is in a completely different aspect ratio than a normal movie. Oh, it's it's right. 4-3. It distracted me at first. But it, it doesn't when you get into this movie. And other films that have done that bug the shit out of me. I just enjoy watching what I'm watching. I think Zack Snyder's made better movies, but I think this is a, I think this is a good movie. It's a good solid watch for me. I oh, where am I going to go? Is it better than the last one? Yeah, I like it. You know what? I like it a lot. I'm going to give this an eight. Eight on ten from Mr. Bunch Goudreau. Uh, you seem to have been harder on this. How do you feel about Zack Snyder's Justice League? Well, I was harder when Superman finally shows up on screen, but that's a <laughs> other time. Uh, uh, release the mustache cut, please. Uh, that's my hashtag. <laughs> Henry Cavill with a porn mustache with a Superman costume checks all my mother boxes. <laughs> Joking aside, because let's not forget this is a Zack Snyder movie, which is actually funny because this movie was not what I expected in a lot of ways. Number one, I said BVS was dour. I would not call this dour. It has a lighter tone while still feeling weighty and, and important without feeling self-important. For about 90% of it. The last 20 minutes of this movie are pure self-indulgence. And it was a damn shame, because I would give this movie a higher score if it wasn't for that last 20 minutes. But I, I have to include it as part of the whole. So, looking at this movie, if you want to call it that, it's still a bit unwieldy. There was no need for this to be four hours. But for what's here, goddamn, it's, it's a pretty good movie that if there was any way that I could see this as a three-hour tweaked Ultimate Edition I would probably watch it on the regular or semi-regular. But as it is, because it's so long, and while I still think the villain is an improvement, I still don't give two shits about Steppenwolf, really. It's a better movie than the 2017 Justice League. But as someone who gave it a four, while I do think this is an improvement, I do think it's a it's a complicated relationship I have with it just because of how this was born. You know, this was sort of like Doomsday in BBS where they just orchestrated it out of blood and angry words. So 
If you're a Snyder fan and you're a cultist of his, I can't imagine this is anything less than your come-to-Jesus moment, basically, because this, this has to be everything you want. The aspect ratio, I like. I like the 4-3 choice. I can't go to an 8. I, I just, I, I can't for reasons. I have, despite the runtime, there's still fundamental issues I, I have with some of the the portrayals. And like I said, for Cyborg being the, the emotional center, I just think a lot of his added scenes, they're just not good, in my, my opinion. I, I get what they were going for, but anytime it cuts to him, like, mastering the suit or trying to, like, walking through Nazi Germany, I, I think it's laughable, to be perfectly honest. Good, in my opinion, yes. But I just think it, it is, at times, too big for its britches. And I'm not going to say I'm going to watch this four-hour version again. So I'm, I'm going to land on a six. Six from Goudreau. You know, I, I want to make clear that I do not hate that this movie exists. What I do hate is the precedent that it sets. We talked about how it was pretty much bullied into existence. And this has happened. I mean, it, it comes with being part of the Internet. Like, we saw it happen. Remember when Sonic... The trailer was released, and everyone was like, change the look. Well, they changed the look, and from all I hear, I hear that movie was a good movie anyway. So it didn't really make any difference how that fucking character looked. I just hate the mentality it takes for people to get behind their keyboards and say, you need to change this, you need to change that, and filmmakers caving in. And all that being said, you know, I, when I've seen Snyder talk about this, what he compares this to is the... Blade Runner director's cut that came out in the 90s. And that's a movie that me and Matt have been aching to talk about. And we will eventually. We'll get to it. As long as the site site exists, uh, we will definitely get to it. But if you look at that movie... Ridley Scott made a lot of changes that the studio would not let him have for that cut. And it's looked at as a superior cut. I am here to tell you that I think I can look at this cut and say that, yes, there are things that are improved, but I don't think overall it's a better movie. And the fact that this fucker is four hours shows a self-indulgence, entirely pretentious attitude that is just, it just leaks on the screen because you cannot leave things here that aren't cut. Like, there are so many scenes that just drag, and all the fucking slow-motion fight and everything else, it does not last for four hours. I cannot believe I sat here for four hours as my girlfriend was working and watching this movie. I'm like, my God, I cannot believe that he got away with this. The fact that they won drives me crazy. But as a superhero movie, it's not any better, any worse. So I'm going with the same exact score I gave that 2017 cut. I'm going with a six because I think the 2017 cut is different, but it still has the same flaws as this one. No, we did not have a Russian family in danger for no reason like we did in that 2017 cut. There are things done differently here, but again, I'm not going to say it's a better movie and I'm not going to call a movie that is four fucking hours and not in definite improvement over 2017 a better movie. So this is a Six out of ten for me. Goudreau, what are we talking about next? We are going into, speaking of directors who got fired, we are covering James Gunn going from Marvel to DC <sighs> with, with his take on the Suicide Squad. That's next? Yep, and then that the Batman. And then Batman's after that. Wow. Another one. Next week, I mean, last week we reviewed Birds of Prey, a film I hadn't seen until I did it for this podcast. James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, I have avoided. I do not like any of James Gunn's movies at all. I shouldn't say at all. There are parts that I do like, but overall I have not been a huge fan of any of his films. So I have avoided The Suicide Squad. I do not even know half of what to expect, although you guys have let things slip out that as we've recorded and as I've edited these podcasts, I've kind of caught here and there. But I have no idea what to expect next week other than a lot of bad jokes and a lot of bad music drops. What do you guys remember about next week's film? I saw in theaters, even though it was available to me on HBO Max at the same time, 
I was excited for James Gunn to be doing it. I remember it's the movie that made Disney suddenly go, oh, shit, never mind. Um, we'll, we'll hire you again. And he came back to do one movie, and I think he's going to be given the mouse house the finger permanently after that. But to me, I remember casting decisions and changes, and I was extremely excited that I thought maybe Idris Elba was going to be done properly in a superhero movie for once. But I, I thought he could be the right person to take this on. I also thought it was interesting that DC was willing to continue and put something like this, even though they didn't let David Ayer give it R an R rating, they were going to let James Gunn go ahead and put out an R-rated cut of his movie. Fuck, I was hyped to go see this. I thought James Gunn was the perfect choice for the Suicide Squad. And I loved that he came into this movie with a chip on his shoulder. I'm sure he was pissed off as all hell that Disney gave him the boot temporarily. And to look at what he was bringing to it, like some of the, the characters, the, the trailers I thought were outstanding. Fuck, I saw the poster with, with the color scheme. It was echoing the John Ostrander dial. I could not have been more hyped to see this. Like, this was the first DC movie I walked into where I was like, oh, please be good. And <laughs> I, was, I was hyped up to see it. I couldn't have been more excited. All right, so that'll be next week. We will cover the Suicide Squad. We are almost through the Batman portion of the DC Universe, boys. I'm excited. It'll be our first completed retrospective for the new site. And thank you guys for helping me indulge my completionist ways. I appreciate it. A lot more to come. So many things to end out the year. It's it's just going to be a fun year. And it's, God, I cannot believe, boys, we're already, what, half year into our site's existence. So thank you guys for helping me out with that. But until next week... When we review The Suicide Squad, Evil Does Not Sleep, it podcasts. Thanks, boys. Martha. member of the team is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. This is Christopher Smith, known as Peacemaker. In his hands, anything is a deadly weapon. His father was a soldier who trained his son how to kill from the moment he was born. Are you having a laugh? What? You just said each member of the team is chosen for their unique abilities. He does exactly what I do, but better. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast exclusively on Percolated Media. You think you can beat me? You're a fucking moron. Join us next week for an entirely new review. Unless we all want to die very unpleasant death, we're going to have to work together. And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts. Do I look like the kind of clown that could start a movement? The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Who are you guys? Edited by Garrett. Fucking fabulous, if you ask me.
voiceovers by Adam. Okay, I'm waiting for the punchline. The Three Men and a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. You know, Bat- Batman wasn't in Birds of Prey. He was mentioned twice. <laughs> and Harley Quinn was the carryover. Hey, Matt made the schedule. I didn't. Start. <laughs> I love putting that on him. <laughs> three. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, three. But to answer your question, I did do it in one sitting. Both times, first time and for this rewatch. Although I didn't realize I would have to get up and change my Blu-ray to disc two, like I had to do a Titanic on VHS. <laughs> yeah, Matt goes to Titanic. I was thinking of Garrett and I sitting back watching our Heat VHS. Yes, I was thinking that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it take two. And we do have some of the same scenes, as much as Snyder denies it. We get a lot of the same scenes in this movie that we saw a few weeks ago, but it's a completely different movie. Adam, would you agree with that? Adam, are you there? Yeah, here. Sorry, did I cut out? Yeah, you cut out. Go ahead. Hello. Okay. Just say Martha. (laughs) (laughs) Martha. Yeah, it is. We cut to Metropolis, where the bridge is apparently built in a tribute to Superman, and a bank is being robbed with Snyder's um, with Snyder's ready to shoot. Oh God, I'm sorry, I don't know what I put here. Um, <laughs> snipers. There we go. Thank you. It was. Snipers. Thank you, sir. All right, let me back up here. Diana finds the arrow and then jumps down to open a door that shows her all four mother boxes and what they do. Or all, yeah, all four mother boxes and what they Three. do. Three. 
three. I'm sorry. Diana finds the arrow and then jumps down to open a door that shows her. Don't put that in fans' mouths because now they're going to ask. Release the Batfleck movie. <laughs> we then see what was the most talk. He married. He married uh, Adam, start that happen. again. Adam, start that again because I talked talk over you. Go ahead. But until next week, when we review The Suicide Squad, Evil Does Not Sleep, it podcasts. Thanks, boys. Martha. <laughs> Why did you say that podcast? Why did you say that podcast? <laughs> boys, fantastic set of podcasts. <laughs>